We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub, drink, and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. You don't want to see Nathan's plugs. Dynasty. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dynasty Tradecast, brought to you by Rotoviz, my bookie. My name is Dan Sanio on Twitter at FFDynastyDan. Back for some more. Uh, I've been gone recently. I apologize for that. I'm in the process of moving. But you know who has been here and who's been the glue, who's held this ship above water? That's my good friend, Nathan Powell. Nathan, how you doing tonight? Yes, I, I have been here, but the real glue, as we know, is our, our props to our official substitute host, Justin, slash editor, superstar. This show doesn't happen without Justin. I'm buttering him up because he's editing this podcast as he's listening to this. But it's official. The season has begun. Season has begun. Lots of news. I mean, it's kind of weird because like the last like month, month and a half, we've really been like, picking out like random news stories to try and cover them. But with week one, you don't really have to pick out anything. It's all jumps right out at you. Well, that's because we have 400 things to overreact to per usual during the time we're recording. It's Monday night football. So we've got one eye on each other and the other eye on our TV screens trying to stay focused, but we know how difficult that can be. You know, what's not difficult though, Nathan about week one is, uh, what? Becoming a Rotovis Radio Patreon and That's subscriber. Right. <laughs> Patreon is back for the second season, better than ever. Patronship started just $6 per month, and we now offer exclusive access to Rotovis Radio Slack. You can find Nathan, myself, and all of the other Rotovis fellas and ladies in there. You can ask questions, gain league winning advice from many, many, many of the team. Patreons also get first dibs on uh, the listener league spots for future. That will continue to happen. Obviously, the season has started now, so those leagues are, are no longer filling. But for future, uh, Patreons will always have dibs on those to start. And there's also a $9 tier that gets you some sweet merch at the end of the season. They're always really good. The, the shirts that we've gotten have always been awesome. So 
Uh, make sure you become a Rotoviz patron today. Join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high-quality, industry-leading programming. And you can find that patreon.com slash Radio. And don't forget, also another exclusive for you Rotoviz Radio listeners, you get a 10% off Rotoviz NFL Pass right now. It's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Season has begun. Make sure you're getting your, your light, right lineups, right waiver moves, all those great things. Limited access to all of our NFL content tools, so you get amazing value and support the podcast network. Once again, that's rotoviz.com slash podcast and patreon.com slash rotovizradio. Gotta love it. Week one is among us. Chaos, as always. Uh, this year, a little more chaos than usual, though, because right at the top of the show, we're going to start with the big news item. Antonio Brown to the Patreon, to the Patreons, to the Patriots, um, the cousins of the Patreons, played the Raiders like a fiddle, it seems. I, I can't imagine this was anything but the plan. The second that Steelers wouldn't trade him to one of his preferred destinations, he would dab it up with the Raiders, get himself a good contract, and then play himself right out of town on what seems like on purpose. Props to him. Someone get that man an Oscar. This this Patriots team is kind of disgusting now. That that offense is insane. So how are we how are we doing uh, moving Antonio Brown? Are we moving him up? Is he kind of staying where he was? That offense is is pretty pretty thick. There's there's a lot of mouths to feed, and I know we we say that with a lot of places, but with 72 year old Tom Brady, I'm not sure he's going to be throwing it 700 times this season. So Nathan, what what are we doing with Antonio Brown at this point? Just to give my my take on the whole playing himself out of Oakland situation, I kind of think that's a little bit, you know, galaxy brained. It's like, oh, did that really happen? I think that there's an element of like in the last like week or so he decided, oh, how can this happen? And that was the report that he asked a social media advisor, how do I get out of Oakland? Um, but to say he'd like been planning this from the blimp to the cryogenic therapy to all this. Also, I heard a rumor that it wasn't a cryogenic therapy. It was just an ice bar that he didn't wear his shoes. On. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, from a fantasy perspective, Antonio Brown, I, I don't know. I don't really see how he's not a top 15 wide receiver. You know, I, th- I think that he hurts Josh Gordon the most out, out of all these people have trying to spin zone saying maybe this hurts James White the most. I think it hurts everybody just a little bit. You know, it's a, it's a decrease in volume for everybody, but it does take the wide receiver one NFL wide receiver one range of outcomes out of Josh Gordon's range of outcomes. For sure, and but at the at the same time, I think I think we could have a Rams type situation here, where we've got three wide receivers that have enough upside because of who's throwing them the ball and because of the offense they're in, where they could all be wide receiver twos or a high end wide receiver three at the very worst. I think you're talking about three legitimate top thirty wide receivers in fantasy, year in and year out for as long as they're together. Obviously, uh, Edelman, more of the volume-driven guy, and Gordon and Brown, the big playmakers. I think it it basically uh, eliminates Philip Dorsett, which was unfortunate because we did see his week one fully explode in what we can only assume will be the Antonio Brown role. So I think the offense is, is patented perfect for him. It's built right. To me, the big hit comes to the running backs because I feel like they're going to have to keep these wide receivers fed. And Sony Michelle didn't, didn't get a whole lot of work when Patriots were absolutely dominating. He did get it towards the end of the game. It started to happen a little bit more. But while they were just just absolutely destroying the Steelers, they weren't leaning on the running game at all. They were, they were leaning on the passing attack. And now that could be game plan. But I feel like this offense is built to do that, even with old man Brady back there. They just have so many weapons, and it's so easy to get these guys open because of how much talent's there. It kind of feels like the running backs are going to be all RB3s, maybe a low-end low RB2 for Sony Michelle. We'll see if James White continues to get the looks in the passing attack, but there's only going to be so many targets. It's, it's going to be pretty thin. Yeah, it's interesting because with Antonio Brown, obviously his dynasty value did take a dip in August prior to the Patriots signing because it's like, oh, like what's going – I mean, of course, there was the ridiculous uh, does he have CTE stuff or is he a crazy person? 
Uh, no, he just wanted to get on the Patriots. So I, I, I do think that the value he lost from, you know, that saga was regained immediately by signing with the Patriots. And just from a dynasty perspective, I, I mean, I think he's worth between two. I, I think three first would be an overpay. So, I mean, I think he's worth two first right now. And, you know, a late second, early third rounds t- type startup pick if you're doing, you know, some sort of ADP drafts right now. So that's c- kind of where I have him. The, the biggest winner here is Brady. Obviously, no one cares about quarterbacks, but I don't see how Brady's not a top three quarterback this year. No doubt. And and I, I was one of the people that, that called Antonio Brown um, just absolutely crazy. He played a very good crazy person. He <laughs> he played me like a fiddle. I, I had bought into that narrative. He sold it very well. So uh, obviously the talent isn't going to be anywhere, assuming his feet are fine, which it seems like they are the way he ran out of his home uh, celebrating the news that the Raiders had released him. So I'm right there with you. I think I think he's definitely still in a, that wide receiver two range only because of his age. Obviously, short term, he's everything you'd want in a wide receiver one because we are still talking about Antonio Brown. So I think the buying window is slammed shut unless people want to believe that he's going to peak out at value before he plays. And there's going to be some owners like that because there's going to be some people still pretty worried by how he handled the whole offseason. So uh, there may be a small, small buying window here before he starts playing, but once he gets on the field, the, the production is just going to slam shut, and you're probably going to, as a non-contender, have to wait for probably four, five, six weeks to sell him at that point once you know that your team is kind of out of it. Um, but you probably can't capitalize until he's played at least a few games. And they did, and as a you know a vote of confidence, they did give him the, the second year, I think it was a team option, $20 million uh, second year. So, I mean, that shows at least it's not like, it's not like the average Patriot reclamation project where it's like, okay, we're giving this guy a one-year deal just to see what happens. They think this could be more of a long-term deal, which obviously is great for both Brady and Brown's fantasy value. And all of his bonuses were, were one thing more than last year's stats. It was one more catch, one more yard, and one more touchdown. <laughs> so uh, they they phrased it all that way, which is pretty awesome. So let's move on to our next topic, the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, they played the Miami Dolphins, who we all knew were going to be hot garbage. But my goodness, Lamar Jackson <laughs> proves everybody he can throw at least a little bit. Yeah, it's Miami, like I said, but 17 to 20 for 324 and five. Uh, I got to be honest, even with the Dolphins, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I. I- I think this is a rare one where after a big performance, I'm honestly not selling Lamar Jackson right now. I, I don't think that he's a guy here you're looking to sell off for a different quarterback or sell off for future picks. I think that he is legitimate top seven, top eight dynasty quarterback right now. That may be an overreaction to playing the Dolphins, but he, he's got it on the ground. And the fact that he had this huge performance without the rushing production it just means that the rushing production is going to provide the floor and the play and the games where he's not passing as well. And in the games that he's passing as well, he doesn't need the rushing production. So I think that the Ravens, this offense showed its ceiling in, in week one. And honestly, the, the ceiling is higher than I thought it was. I, I didn't think they were capable of putting up 50 some odd points or wh- whatever it was from, from Baltimore, uh, even against the bad Dolphins defense. And of course the, the other story here is Marquise Brown you know, just another case of fantasy Twitter not liking a player as much as the NFL did. Marquise Brown went wide receiver seven, wide receiver eight in fantasy drafts. He was the wide receiver one in the NFL draft. Yes, there was the injury concerns a little bit, you know, as he left college, but he looked healthy as a horse in week one. Well, yeah, but Hakeem Butler's a mutant, Nathan. Didn't you know that? Yeah, the the ceiling is incredible with this team. I It was always one of those things that was kind of, it just didn't seem like it could possibly happen, but it's talked about, you know, Lamar was a good passer in college. Obviously there were some, some things that we needed to work on, but Baltimore's so balanced. They, they have a good running game. Now it appears they have a couple of good wide receivers. We were all kind of on the Mark Andrews bus. So I think that was kind of expected, but here comes Hollywood Brown. And as an Oklahoma fan, I saw the big flashes of, of elite speed and, He's a pretty darn good wide receiver. He runs good routes. They're nice and crisp, but he's undersized. And I think that was the the big worry there with, with him. And again, you mentioned it. When guys go in the first round and they're, and they're the first, second, third wide receiver off the board and they've got draft capital to back them up, we got to lean on that a little bit more. I'm, I'm always, I'm always kind of dogging on the, the draft capital 
something, usually that happens after year one and people still talk about draft capital. In this case, I think draft capital was just kind of lost in fantasy Twitter, you know, dynasty Twitter, whatever you want to call it, because everyone was so obsessed with the uh, Hakeem Butler's and Andy Isabella's Hunter Renfro's even started to pick up steam at some point. It's like, you got to stick with what the NFL wants to do because they're running those teams and we aren't. So I think Hollywood Brown definitely has some real upside. I'm still a little bit skittish because of his size, but I think he definitely could be up there in the wide receiver twos. Uh, I think he's probably firmly in the wide receiver three category for me at this point. And like you said, Lamar Jackson, it'd be tough to put him anywhere, anywhere past QB 10 just because of what we saw. Again, when they start playing real NFL teams, it'll probably be a little bit different, but we'll see that rushing floor come up because he didn't need it this game because, you know, he, he didn't. So I think once we start seeing real defenses, you'll start to see that come out of Lamar a little bit more. I think that's his comfort zone. He looked very comfortable throwing the ball, though. Obviously, he only threw it 20 times, but with incredible efficiency. So I think, I think his absolute ceiling is probably something like Russell Wilson. And his absolute floor is probably something like injured Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah, and the one thing that was pointed out, I think it was Rich Gribar who's who pointed out that Marquise Brown only played 12 snaps in week Crazy. one. And he only ran seven routes. He Crazy. ran seven, seven routes, had five targets and four catches. So, yes, that's a bit unsustainable for the, the, the near future. But also part of that, you know, the lack of volume is because of the fact they just didn't need him in the second half. So I'll be interested to see with a normal game script where it's, you know, a 21-17 game, how many snaps he gets, how many targets he gets. And that'll be more indicative of his future volume. But I... I don't think you can bench him in week two, even with the the lack of a clear path to volume. I think that he's shown with very little volume that he can do a lot with it. So um, he's in my starting lineups for, for week two. I think he's actually got a really clear path to to volume because who's else going to take the targets over him? Willie Sneed and Seth Roberts. I feel like they just kind of wanted to slow roll him into the NFL. And he just happened to make massive plays because he's that fast. And he happens to be pretty darn good as well. Mark Andrews, I think, for me in the passing game in this offense is going to be your workhorse. I feel like Lamar's pretty comfortable with him and he kind of had the same type of game that that Hollywood Brown had where he wasn't out there for a ton a ton of snaps, but when he was out there he was getting his looks. So, I feel like the offense when targeting these guys is going to stay relatively efficient, obviously not as efficient as we see in week 1 because that's basically impossible uh, unless we're looking at Randy Moss and Tony Gonzalez here. I don't think it's sustainable over a full season, but just like you said, there's no way you can take these guys out of your starting lineup and um, moving them both up even higher than I already had them. Because aside from Lamar, I was a big fan of Mark Andrews as well uh, coming out of college, even with the injury concerns. So, Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and hats, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. Let us move on to everyone's favorite team, Duval. Jacksonville Jag Jaguars. That's for you, Mr. Bertsloff. Nick Foles goes down with the injury. Gardner Minshew comes in. Minshew. And plays pretty well, actually. DJ Chark puts up some numbers. D.D. Westbrook, uh, kind of gross, but got a touchdown in there. A dot was something less than one, so that's usually good. <laughs> I think it was something like 0.8 and his air yards were like six. So 
yeah, uh, we, we need to see a little bit more from this offense. But uh, Nick Foles being out indefinitely, according to Jacksonville. So what are we doing with uh, with good old Gardner here, Nathan? Well, this is your PSA. Uh, first, uh, be as smart as me and for some reason pick up Gardner Minshew on two Superflex waiver wires last week. I don't know why I did that, but it worked out pretty well for me. But also, when it comes to Superflex and quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks be- becoming available, particularly for an extended period of time, like it looks like Gardner Minshew is, and even throw in the fact that he is a young player who, you know, Young quarterbacks and Superflex have huge upside. You know, they can turn into a Dak Prescott or they can turn into a Russell Wilson. I'm not saying that's Gardner Minshew because I don't think it is. But basically, my, my main takeaway from the Gardner Minshew situation is throw every single fab dollar you have in Superflex on him. I I don't think that there's another waiver wire asset you can get this year that's going to be better than a, a quarterback that's a rookie who is going to get several games to, to show what he has as a starter. So uh, do you agree throw 100% of your fab on Minshew in Superflex? I think, it ha- I think you have to, assuming you potentially missed out on Jacoby Brissett once the Andrew Luck news happened, even though you probably had Brissett uh, rostered in most leagues. If he wasn't, then shame on you. But yeah, this this is a, a tough one because I think I think Foles is going to be one of those one of those like QB threes that would have a few really nice weeks and then just kind of be your your backup for the rest. But like you mentioned, the, the young quarterbacks stashing them can always have a, a huge value shift on your teams, especially once they start to, once they get in there. And the cost of them is, you know, relatively nothing in these rookie drafts, unless you're talking about, you know, like a Dwayne Haskins who's drafted early and just happens to be playing behind Case Keenum. That's a different situation altogether. So I think you kind of have to go all in and Minshew if you're talking about your blind bid. As far as going out and trading for him, I'm not giving up the farm by any means. I'm not trading a whole lot. Uh, if you do need quarterback help, maybe throw a mid-round pick out there just to see. I'm doubt I'm doubting that gets it done for a current starting quarterback. But the Jags did go out and trade for Josh Dobbs, who is going to surely just be the backup at this point, unless he happens to take over, which I don't really see happening, but they did go out and make that move to, to shore up their, their backup position. I like that for Mason Rudolph because it took Mason Rudolph basically the entire season last year to get that Steelers QB two job. And I think he got it coming out of camp this year. And usually third round quarterbacks don't take an entire season to win the QB two job. So that was a little bit worrisome as I got, like I liked Mason Rudolph put up big numbers in the big 12. Uh, but the fact that they were willing to get rid of their QB three and Dobbs, I'm sure that, you know, obviously it's not a groundbreaking decision, but it is a vote of confidence. Like, okay, if Ben gets injured, we're comfortable putting Mason Rudolph in its starting quarterback. So I, I think that's good news for Mason Rudolph. And I don't think it really matters for Gardner Minshew. I, I don't think Dobbs is threatening his starting job. Do- Dobbs is just Dobbs is just better than what's on the street, basically. Right. So looking at the wide receivers and the offense as a whole from here, uh, obviously DJ Chark had himself a week. And I think I know there was a lot of folks pretty high on him last year coming into the NFL. The other side of that is D.D. Westbrook, someone who I've been pretty high on for the most part. DJ Chark looked pretty darn good. Obviously, you know, a big splash play type guy down the field, but he was making moves all around. And honestly, he he looked kind of what we were hoping to see last year and didn't really get the opportunity to. So what are you doing with DJ Chark at this point? Yeah, I was a big DJ Chark guy. Another example of guys that the NFL draft likes that Dynasty Twitter didn't. He was probably like the wide receiver, wide receiver six, wide receiver seven off the board. And and in rookie drafts, he was probably like wide receiver 15. Uh, so, yeah, he was definitely undervalued in rookie drafts and even more undervalued after a very bad NFL rookie season. You know, at pretty much every t- opportunity he had he made it look like it was the hardest thing ever to play the wide receiver position in the NFL. So the fact that he is actually playing well in week one with his given opportunity, Marquis Lee, I'm not sure if he's hurt, but he, he had zero fantasy points this week. So I'm guessing he didn't play much. So I, that's good news for DJ shark. I, I do think that he was the better value, obviously of the off season compared to Westbrook. Westbrook was being valued as a fringe top 100 guy and Chark was being valued as the end of the roster guy. But I do think both are solid, even with guard. I don't think the transition from Foles to Minshew hurts them all too much. Maybe it lowers their weekly floor a little bit, 
but I, I think that I think they're they're just fine. Uh, you know, they're still undervalued where they are, uh, especially Chark. So I, I like Chark, 164 receiving yards, one touchdown. Obviously not going to get that every week, but you know, deep threat, going to be a good guy in that Jaguars offense. Yeah, I think he's a really really nice best ball asset. That he could have those monster weeks, and then he'll he'll likely have your duds, just kind of like this offense is going to have though. Yeah, Didi, I, I think, goes to, unfortunately, de facto checkdown option just because he's your sure-handed possession receiver, even though he can't get down the field as well. So, I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world. It's probably going to lead to more volume, but you're not going to have the huge you know, yards per catch, any big gaudy numbers. But short area, red zone, I think he's still he's going to put up some some nice numbers there. And then another big surprise in the offense was Chris Conley showing up with seven targets going six for 97 and a touchdown. He's been a dynasty darling for some time. I, I wasn't, I wasn't watching live. That was garbage time. Wasn't it? Uh, I think some of it was, but not all of it. If, if okay. I recall. Yeah. Correctly. I mean, I mean, honestly, it doesn't really matter. You know, production is production. Uh, you know, he's, you know, showing the coaching staff, Hey, put me on the field, which is a good thing for him. But yeah, I, I did, honestly didn't even see that until like this afternoon. I'm like, oh, hold on. Chris Conley scored points yesterday. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely, uh, th- there's a number of d- decent waiver wire guys to look at this week and Conley's one of them. For sure. Yeah. And, and where he's not rostered and I know in some deeper leagues, he's probably still going to be there, be on the waiver wire. That is. Yeah. I mean, he, He's, I th- would assume, wide receiver three in this offense. Uh, over, over. I mean, I know you hate Lee, but I, I, I mean, after one week, we're ha- having him over Lee for sure. I, I mean, if he's not, if he's not out there, yeah. I mean, there's some people that say your best ability is availability, <laughs> and Marquise Lee is just the opposite of that. So, mm-hmm. and yes, it's a Jacksonville team that isn't going to be high flying or crazy, but. This could be garbage time, garbage time Jacksonville all over again. So we could see some some big splash plays at the end of games. The the Conley touchdown was in fact in garbage time. I would find it hard to believe that all six of his catches and almost 100 yards all came in that third slash fourth quarter. But it's very possible that it happened. My big worry here now though is back to Didi just being the being the underneath guy because it's just kind of wasting his ability. Even though I do like Chark and I know he's the big down the field guy. I feel like they need to stretch um, Didi out down the field a little bit as well. So hopefully we see a little bit of that down the road and they don't just kind of lock him into that over the middle underneath guy. Okay. Next topic. Are the Browns really still this bad? We saw an absolutely pitiful performance against what turns out to be a pretty darn good Tennessee team. It looks like, that defense looked solid, to say the least. And Marcus Mariota showed up with his best Lamar Jackson impression. Low volume, lots of touchdowns. But we're not here to talk about Marcus Mariota. We're here to talk about the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield in his just immediate sophomore slump regression-filled day. He starts it off with a bang, throwing three picks. Nick Chubb, mediocre. Uh, I wouldn't say he had a bad game. He looked good with the ball in his hands, but um, nothing to write home about. Odell, you know, he, he can only do so much with with the types of targets you're getting and the off the way the offense is running. Uh, Jarvis Landry still getting those wide receiver two targets, and the rest of it. Uh, obviously, David Njoku has scored their their uh, touchdown, so that that helped through the air uh, to get that, but. As a whole, the offense just, it didn't look like they were clicking. I feel like there's still there's still a lot that all of these guys have to kind of figure out. So this might be a team that doesn't start clicking until week five, week six, but they better figure it out fast because that was hideous. Well, they have to figure it out through the offensive line because the offensive line is what ended it. The, Baker didn't have a shot all day. The pass rush of Tennessee was with him, you know, one to two seconds after each snap, which just doesn't give you any sort of chance for the wide receivers to get open. I mean, I'm surprised David Njoku didn't have like 13 targets. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, I mean, the other issue is that obviously in the, from a short term perspective, I think Greg Robinson might get suspended because he got ejected for his kick to the face. I mean, I, I would not be surprised to see a one to two game suspension on top of that ejection as well. Uh, not that Greg Robinson is some great left tackle to write home about. I, I'm not an offensive line expert, but 
losing your left tackle on an offensive line that's playing poorly can't help. Someone call Joe Thomas. We need Joe Thomas ASAP. <laughs> Get that man. Get that man a contract. Uh, yeah, the offensive line is bad. Five sacks for Baker uh, and evaded a few. It could have been much worse than five. Tennessee was all over him. But, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the expectations just kind of got insane for the team. And we were almost due for this. It, it, it should have just been clear as day that this is going to happen the way it was all hyped all offseason. There were still some poo-pooers and some naysayers, but uh, I didn't really expect this type of performance from an offense that is wielding some of the best players in the league. So uh, I feel like they'll figure it out. It's week one. We can't overreact crazily, but you're not wrong. You can't lose your left tackle. You can't have your left tackle doing that. There is precedent for suspension because I know Ndamukong Sue was suspended for his kick slash stomp. Uh, and there's been other folks that have kicked slash stomped. So I feel like they're going to be without Greg Robinson. And I can't imagine the replacement level going from Greg Robinson to whoever their backup is, is all that bad, but you're still losing your left tackle and that stings a little bit. So I think we can only go upwards from here, which is good, especially for all of my Cleveland Brown shares, because I have lots of them. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the, the Titans were one of the big upset stories of the day. Cleveland Browns were five and a half point favorites entering the day. And obviously they covered that. Uh, I mean, they did not cover at all. Tennessee covered covered a five and a half point spread and then some in a huge blowout. Uh, one of the other more surprising losing bets of the day was anyone who bet on the Seattle Seahawks to cover their nine and a half point spread. They were big favorites, nine and a half point spread for the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, they did not cover that, uh, thanks to the Bengals and John Ross's performance. John Ross had 158 receiving yards and two touchdowns uh, to to cover that spread. And if you want to get in on the action of some betting, our good friends at my bookie, they're giving you the opportunity to get in on the betting, get get some free money, double your deposit with a promo code ROTOVIZ up to $1,000 on your deposit. So if you want to be like someone who bet on the Bengals uh, to cover that spread against the Seahawks, which they easily did, the Seahawks were not going to be winning uh, double digits in that game. So Bengals uh, had a good game from a Vegas perspective, didn't win the game, but they covered that spread and John Ross was a big reason why. Uh, what are your thoughts on John Ross's week one performance? Promo code ROTOVIZ, mybookie.ag. Wow. My thoughts on uh, John Ross. Oh, well, obviously, no AJ Green is big for him because this allows him to get on the field, get the targets. He actually led the team in targets with 12, which is pretty insane. That's that's big volume. That's I mean that's wide receiver one type volume. And Tyler Boyd did have 11 as well, but he wasn't able to do what John Ross was with his. Uh, obviously, we we all knew what John Ross was: the speedster down the field, playmaker. But he had some big plays across the middle, too. He, he was going up, getting contested catches, doing everything you would want to see from a high upside wide receiver, especially a young one. And with John Ross battling his injuries and all of the stuff that's followed him into the NFL from college where he struggled with injuries, it's, it's nice to see him get out there and do this because there was a lot of folks that thought he was capable of it. Obviously, the Bengals thought he was capable of it. So no A.J. Green is big for John Ross, I think. I think in the short term, we see some solid production from John Ross. I don't think we see seven for 158 and two again, but I think he can be right around that 100 yard mark just because I feel like we're going to probably have a 30, 40, 50 yard catch from every week because that's the player he is. Uh, I still think Tyler Boyd is the alpha until AJ Green comes back because it's kind of hard to force feed your 140 pound wide receiver who just runs seam routes. Plus, they've got to keep Giovanni Bernard in the mix and Joe Mixon, assuming he's healthy. And Tyler Eifert made it through a whole game. Who would have thought that would have happened? So back to John Ross. I feel like we have to move him up a little bit. Uh, I think the Bengals are one of the teams that, that kind of goes under the radar pretty consistently. Andy Dalton is, is no Tom Brady. He's no Drew Brees. He's no great quarterback by any means. But he can certainly support fantasy production. We've seen it. Pretty much every year, we've seen him support A.J. Green. We've seen him support Tyler Boyd and some pass-catching backs as well. So I feel like this offense can do it. And with their mediocre at best defense, they're probably going to be in situations where they're going to be throwing the ball relatively often. 
So the volume is going to be there. Even when AJ Green comes back, I still think they're going to get Ross involved. And you got to move him up the boards with a performance like that, seeing him healthy out on the field, explosive, just doing everything he can. Obviously, only catching seven of his 12 targets isn't ideal, but I don't know exactly how many of those are catchable. I'm sure with Andy Dalton, there was probably a few that weren't. And knowing John that, Ross, and I'm it, sure he, he is the prototypical type of receiver that he's not going to be like the nine target, eight catch guy. Right. Because he's going to get, he, I mean, I'm sure the ADOT on his targets was probably like, you know, 20 to 25, which is nuts, in, which probably results in a, you know, obviously a lower completion percentage. Right, right. So you're getting something like this probably with John Ross relatively consistently, just not the touchdown production and probably not the super high end yardage, but. Those types of games are definitely in his range of outcomes. How high up are you moving John Ross from this one game? And do you think it's sustainable for him to have wide receiver two or wide receiver three production throughout? I, I'm not sure how sustainable his production is. I, I, I would say he, he's moved up from really not on my radar, maybe other than like a, a flyer to I'd give up a late second for him right now just to, to buy in on it, which could I, I think most John Ross owners would laugh in your face at that offer. But seeing as how he didn't have value seven days ago, I don't think a late second is the worst place to start on an offer. Definitely. That, that, that seems, that seems more than fair, especially considering what he was going for when he was a rookie. Um, So there's a lot of sunken costs there, but at this point if you can get him for relatively cheap or free. He's probably on some waiver wire still just because that's the nature of the beast. I can promise you that. (laughs) Well, not, not with you. Nathan's the John Ross Hawk. Speaking of Hawks, looking on the other side of the ball, another rookie that everyone loved to hate, DK Metcalf had himself a decent game, catching four balls off of six targets for uh, like 90 yards. Didn't get in the end zone, but he looked pretty good out there. He he made some plays, and the team kind of leaned on on him where they would you would expect them to lean on Tyler Lockett, and it, it just. Honestly, I think it proved a lot of naysayers wrong with what he can do and that he can be, honestly, an alpha in an offense. Obviously, you know, we're, we're expecting a lot more output from Tyler Lockett. But do you see um, what DK Metcalf did as kind of a sign of things to come? Or do you think that was more of an outlier where we'll see Tyler Lockett start to dominate targets again? No, I, I think that his week one performance is a huge positive indicator of the volume he got in week one. You know, he had a preseason injury probably week two, week three, where they said he might miss like a month. And he was there week one and being targeted. Not, I mean, heavily might be a bit of an overreaction, but more than I certainly expected. I, I would have said, oh, he's playing. OK, Max, he's going to get his two or three targets. But he was the featured wide receiver one in the offense. Lockett didn't see a target until like the end of the third quarter. So... The fact that they prioritize getting him involved, I, I think it's a very positive indicator for him being, you know, very much worth the 105, 106 rookie pick that you invested in him. Yeah, and I know the big worry with the offense is is the lack of volume. It's kind of a slow-paced, run-first type offense. But Russell Wilson is one of the most efficient passers in the history of it. He can do a lot with a little Obviously, you'd like to see something more than 14 for 20 and like 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns, but that's kind of what he does. That's kind of his game, and and we'll probably see a few more uh, a few more attempts down the road. I can't imagine 20 is going to really be, you know, a, a consistent number, but that's the way that offense is built to work. So if if we're getting, you know, 18 or so completions per game. That's going to be just fine for Metcalf and Lockett both to coexist and, you know, try to do more with what they're getting for targets, being efficient themselves with their targets like DK Metcalf was. And technically, Tyler Lockett was efficient with the targets he got. He only got two, though, which was the issue. He did catch one of those for a 44 yard touchdown. So I feel like the offense as a whole will stay relatively efficient aside from the ground game. That's just going to kind of be a smash into the line, smash into the line, throw for a first down type type move, because that's basically what it was on Sunday. So let us slide to our next topic. And we'll start with the positive portion. Sammy Watkins is alive, folks. I don't know if you knew this, but he lives. And he had himself a freaking football game. Nathan, now I know that this is your man's. Okay, 
So I'm going to roll out the red carpet just for you. And you can walk Mr. Watkins right down the carpet, take as many pictures as you'd like. See, as, as someone who's danced this dance with Sammy Watkins before, <laughs> he is a big game guy. Like, this is not his first, you know, 30, 35 point fantasy game. And it won't be his last. But the problem with Sammy isn't the 35 point games. It's that next week he's going to get one catch with two targets for 14 yards. And that's going to be without Tyreek Hill. It's when you expect when you when your expectations start to come out for Sammy Watkins, when you start to expect him to do things, that's when whatever offense he's in, whether it's Kansas City or Los Angeles Rams or Buffalo, once you start to expect him to get volume, he just disappears. I don't know where he goes. <laughs> I don't know if he goes to, you know, Timbuktu or the sideline, but I'm I'm pumping my brakes a little bit. I'm not in, I'm not saying, oh, he's the wide receiver one in Kansas City. He's going to be locked in wide receiver one in fantasy. I mean, I could easily be proven wrong in this statement, but I'm not quite full go with him right now. Wow. Not the reaction I was expecting from you. I mean, this... I'm, a ba- I'm a battered Sammy Watkins truther. So. <laughs> the battered Nathan Shelter. Yeah, I mean, it was an impressive game. Yeah, Tyreek went down. Uh, oh, man, that that stinks. Oh, gee, dang it. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. It's unfortunate the arm didn't fall off. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Watkins, you know, it, it's big to see him healthy and out there. He looked absolutely fantastic. He looked like the elite wide receiver that we once saw in his days in Buffalo before uh, he sustained his load of injuries. But I, I think I'm with you here that it's – it's kind of tough to jump back on board after being burned so many times. Now, obviously, the talent is still there. And you mentioned you don't know where he goes on his off weeks. I can tell you where he goes. It's to the doctor, for, for the most part. That's that's usually where he ends up. Now, he made it through unscathed, thankfully. Knock on wood. But it just seems almost inevitable. I, I would be impressed if he plays 12 of 16 this year. And if he plays more, good for him. I've got him in a few spots. It's great for me. It's great for him. It's great for everybody. It just the injury scare is always there with him. He just really struggles to stay on the field. Yes, high flying offense, but you can't sell the farm to go get Sammy Watkins. I think another uh, the bigger story in Kansas City, other than Sammy Watkins being elite again, hashtag elite, is Shady McCoy not dead. I mean, I don't think anyone thought he was dead, especially after he signed with with Kansas City. But I think that the bigger takeaway is that Damian Williams isn't quite dead with McCoy there. So, I mean, I, I think that we have two fantasy relevant running backs in Kansas City. There, that, that, that certainly, like, obviously their weekly floor does lower. But that offense is so good that there's not going to be very many floor weeks for those running backs. So if both are going to be getting 10 to 15 fantasy points, I mean, obviously the ideal is not having two Chiefs running backs in your lineup, but I'm fine putting either of those guys in in my lineups in in fantasy leagues right now. Do you remember that time, like, I don't know, 72 hours ago when Damian Williams wasn't the RB1 and Shady McCoy was just going to be a guy and something named Darwin was – just going to eat and be the RB1. Oh, he had one catch? Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think Williams and McCoy can coexist. I think both will do plenty in the offense. I still think Damian's the 1A, but Shady will spell him, and he'll do well in that role. I don't think we see Darwin very much this season. Uh, I think you can call it kind of a glorified redshirt season unless we see an injury, but... I, I will say that I, I think that in, we haven't really talked t- touched on Tyreek yet, but if Darwin Thompson has a role, it'll kind of be the Tyreek like sweep role, the the role of you know the weapon in the backfield, the the speed. And I'm not not sure it's a locked in role. Maybe it's just Tyreek is so good that they used him in, in those ways. But I, I think that if there's a guy in that offense that is going to be used as like the the sweep guy, I think it's, it's Thompson. But I don't think that's any sort of like a consistent locked in role. It's funny you mention that because they happen to draft someone this year uh, that is literally Tyreek Hill. That's just not a complete pile of garbage. 
Yeah, but it, it didn't seem like they wanted to use him <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> well, no, because they have Sammy Watkins. See, now they can game plan for next week. They weren't expecting to lose Tyree Kill. Thankfully, they did. Okay, on to the next one. Now that we're done with our lovely Chiefs talk, let's slide into the Washington football team names. Terry McLaurin, my goodness gracious. Uh, for you box score scouts out there, you're going to fall in love with him. But my goodness gracious, you should go back and actually watch the game because he was incredible all game. He dominated. No matter what he were asking him to do, he was... He, <laughs> I don't think he could have played a better game than what he did. It, I mean, you had to have been super enthused with what you saw from McLaurin, right? Yeah, this is one of those that, it, as it's happening, you're kind of like, wait, wh- why didn't I see this happening? When you look at the Washington wide receiver depth chart, they they dropped, they got rid of Do- Josh Doxson. So the depth chart is basically McLaurin, Kelvin Harmon, Trey Quinn, and that's it, I think. Maybe I'm missing, like, one veteran. But Paul Richardson. There w- Who? Paul Richardson. Oh, you no, know, he doesn't exist. He had seven uh, targets, bro. It's going <laughs> to happen, all right? But my point being is that, there was going to be a very fantasy relevant wide receiver out of this receiving core. And basically all these guys were had for a a late second round pick or or less. And so McLaurin obviously is the one that, that looks like to be the wide receiver one early on because of how good he was. And I think it only gets better once Haskins makes the transition. Unfortunately, Keenum looked good enough that the Haskins transition might, might not happen until very late this season. Yeah, I, I don't think unless they're entirely out of contention, they're going to make that move because Keenum, Keenum looked like Vikings Keenum. He he played very, very well, and he made some of those guys look really good. And another huge takeaway, I think, from Washington after week one is Chris Thompson still has Chris Thompson's role. That, that didn't go away. Obviously, uh, AP being out got Thompson on the field more. But AP wasn't going to be on for those passing downs anyways. And it looked like they were kind of trying to ease guys in a little bit. And, you know, they were leading for the for most of the first half, well, all of the first half. And uh, Philly made their comeback. But Chris Thompson's got a real role on this team. I, I think he might end up being the, the, biggest, the biggest winner of the offseason, especially considering what it took to roster him, which was literally nothing because everyone thought he was done at the end of last year, even since his, his injury. And um, obviously everyone hoping Geis is healthy, trying to be that three down back. I think Geis is locked in into a solid uh, role, but I think he's going to be consistently the two down guy and Thompson catching a lot of passes, even though they have a lot of those underneath speedster type guys that can do what he does. He's going to be Case Keenum's binky. Yeah, I kind of saw the Adrian Peterson benching slash inactive as an attempt to give Darius guys like a confidence boost. Like, hey, we don't need Adrian Peterson. You're our RB1. You're going to get the job done. He didn't get the job done in week one. Uh, he did not play well. Uh, so I, I think that that attempt at a confidence boost is going to be, you know, not rewarded. And, and it's going to be Adrian Peterson is going to be playing and be getting rushing, rushing attempts in week two. So I am not confident putting Darius guys in my lineups until he actually plays good football in the regular season. And I think that it might take a little while for him to, to get the opportunity that he got in week one, which he did not take advantage of. Yeah, he looked pretty bad. I'm not even going to lie. And, and I've been a fan of guys. The confidence you can just kind of tell isn't there. He's not running hard. He, he's not running the way we saw him at LSU. And, you know, this, this is like, if you want to compare it to something, it's like Derek Rose in the NBA. He's just, He's not feeling it, man. And hopefully he doesn't disappear for months on end the way Derrick Rose disappeared. But uh, I feel like guys will come around eventually. He's got to get that confidence back. Maybe having AP on the field and pushing him active is is something that will help. I, I don't know. I, it's it's up to guys to, to kind of prove everybody wrong. But the, where we sit right now, it looks like all of the naysayers were pretty accurate because he looked bad. But the offense as a whole kind of trucked along they uh they were they're a nice passing attack i think i think overall this team is is going to be i think it's going to stay relatively underrated and a lot of these guys even with with mediocre volume are going to stay pretty fantasy consistent and fantasy relevant they 
between McLaurin and even, you know, Paul Richardson had himself seven targets. Trey Quinn, who's kind of caught some steam towards the end of the offseason, had six targets. Vernon Davis, or the cadaver of Vernon Davis, had seven targets and a big touchdown catch. Even Kelvin Harmon got in the mix and, and was kind of doing the Josh Doxson thing, but he looked good doing it. So I don't know, man. I feel like Washington, I think we're going to get two guys out of this offense that are going to take a pretty big boost in their in their dynasty stock, and I think we probably start to see guys fall if we see another performance like this. Yep, for sure. All righty, that should wrap up our week one breakdown. Talk about, talk about most of the big stories. Uh, we'll obviously, we'll cover other stuff as, as the season progresses. Make sure to check out mybookie.ag, promo code ROTOVIZ, get those bets in, get the parlays, the teasers, all that fun stuff. And make sure you go to rotoviz.com, rotovizradio.com for uh, patreon.com forward slash rotovizradio. And to get a Rotoviz subscription, rotoviz.com slash rotovizradio. There you go. All right. Those are our plugs. That's week one. Good luck in week two, folks. Thanks for listening. You don't want to see Nathan's plugs. Um, Kadoosh! The quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. Ow, now, brown cow. Okay, I think we're good. You sound you sound sexual chocolate. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and Pat, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Four black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.